As you remain standing, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we, we do long to see you. We thank you that you are holy and that you are worthy of all honor and praise and glory. We pray, Father, now that you would open your word to us, that we would see Jesus, that we would know what it is to trust in your promise and to follow you in faithfulness and love and by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Some of the most fruitful moments in ministry that I have seen have happened on retreats. Throughout the years, I've had the pleasure of being a part of countless church retreats, be them whole church or men's retreats, whatever they might be. They're they're a wonderful time. It's a great opportunity to get away and to, to grow together. But one thing we always tell folks on the last day of the retreat is get ready. Tomorrow's going to be brutal. It always seems to happen. You get away, you have this great spiritual high, this awesome usually weekend, and then suddenly it's like none of it happened at all. The stresses of life seem to come even faster than normal. Your family starts driving you completely crazy, or uh, more likely the case, you drive them completely crazy. You want to fire everyone you work with, even the ones you don't have the authority to, you're trying to figure out how you can do it. A few days later, you're looking around thinking, what happened? I had this incredible time with Jesus, and now... What's happening here? Well, chapter 15 kind of starts that way for Abraham. He's just won a great victory. He's had the promise of God renewed, and he's received the blessing of the priest of God, Melchizedek. But a bit of time passes, and Abraham finds himself in a place that so many of us have been in. Asking the question that almost every single Christian I have ever known has asked before. How do I really know? How do I really know that God will fulfill his promises? I've turned away from seeking the world and I'm seeking to follow God alone. But but how do I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? How do I know his promises are true? How do I know he approves of me and what I'm doing? How do I really even know he's there? Now, Abraham is not going so far in this moment as to question God's presence or power, but he is questioning when God's promises will be fulfilled. He's longing to see God act. Some of us can probably relate to that feeling a little bit. Lord, I know you're there. I know you're powerful. You're mighty. I know that you and you alone save. So Jesus, why don't you seem to be moving in the life of my loved one who doesn't know you? Why don't you seem to be moving with more more power in my own life? 
Why does the faith at times seem stale and stagnant? Lord, what are you doing in my church? When are you going to do something, Lord? Friends, Genesis chapter 15, the passage that we are looking at today, it is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. You cannot fully understand God's redemption plan without understanding what God does here in chapter 15. Because in chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham, a binding relationship that takes his redemption plan to the next stage, while also answering Abraham's faithful, longing questions. In making a covenant with Abraham, God answers his questions by expanding his view, building his faith, and graciously acting. Our passage begins with the Lord coming to Abraham, and he encourages him. The Lord knows what Abraham is feeling, and so he reminds Abraham in verse 1 that the Lord himself is his shield. He's his protector, that, that Abraham will have a great reward, and so he does not need to fear. And Abraham's response here is entirely understandable. Lord, I know you've promised me an heir and a family line, but right now, Eliezer will be my heir, and he's not my son. It's a statement born out of a limited view. You see, at this point, Abraham knows that the Lord has made promises, that the Lord's acted in his life to move things along toward the fulfillment of those promises, but the truth is, Abraham isn't getting any younger. He wasn't that young to begin with, and a lot of years have passed. He's been given a map of sorts with a a beginning and, and kind of an end, but none of the stops in the middle. And so he's trying to figure out what on earth is the Lord doing here? And to his credit, Abraham does not turn his back on the Lord as many of us would when we believe that God is not acting as he should. Rather, he brings his concerns to the Lord. It's a great example of what faithfully seeking answers is all about. He doesn't question God's power or his ability or his character. He's wondering about the details. And in response, the Lord takes Abraham outside of his tent and says to him, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. Here the Lord is painting a picture for Abraham. He's telling him that while Abraham, yes, has been faithful in many ways, he is still a limited man and can only see a small portion of what the Lord is doing. It's where so many of our questions come from. We, like Abraham, are limited in our understanding and in our sight, and so we question what it is the Lord is doing. In response, the Lord graciously shows Abraham a bigger picture. He gives him a greater perspective. 
A picture that mercifully we live on the other side of. With only the light of a few campfires or torches to compete with, the night sky would have been filled with stars. It's a sight that many of us who live in this city can only really imagine. But, you know, think about if you've ever gone camping and you've gotten up in the middle of the night and there's no lights anywhere, what the sky looks like. All right, or think back to, as many of us probably don't want to, the blackout in 2003. One of the silver linings of that was looking up in the middle of your city. I lived in Ottawa at the time, looking up and seeing stars. <laughs> the night sky filled. I was told this week that even on the darkest of nights, the human eye could only see about 10,000 stars. It's a pretty amazing number when you think about it. And yet Abraham's descendants, he is told, would number far more than that. Imagine the encouragement for him. What a, what a promise to be given for one who is longing for simply one son and heir. And yet even in this moment, Abraham could not fathom how big the plan really is. He can't number the stars. He can't take them all in. He could never have known how long and how big this plan was. He could never have known. It would not be fulfilled until Jesus came. And that all who walk by faith in Christ, they would be those descendants. It is the view that Christians have been blessed with. To see what Abraham longed for. And it is that view that should help us to answer the questions and the longings that we have. It's what big picture moments are all about. They're an encouragement to help us follow the Lord and to understand that while we might not know all the details, he most certainly does. That we can only see the tiniest percentage of his plan and purpose, but he sees the whole thing. The Lord expands our view of things to encourage us to continue following after him, to remind us of who he is, and to get a big picture perspective on his work. Now that, of course, takes faith. Verse 6 in our passage this morning is of immeasurable importance to the Christian faith. In large part because of what Paul teaches us from it in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. It is this verse that Paul uses to teach us the truth that righteousness is born of faith, not of the good works that we do. Verse 6 here says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him, as righteousness. Abraham gets a clearer sense of what the Lord is doing, and so he believes him. He believes the promises. Notice here that the Lord still hasn't given him all the details, has he? I mean, on the surface, he's just seen a whole lot of stars. It's a 500,000 foot view, not a five foot. 
And yet he looks and he believes. He believes because of the one who makes the promise. See, before the Lord even takes Abraham out of the tent, he says to him, this man, meaning Eleazar, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Then he takes Abraham out of the tent and calls him to look up. And as great as the view is, as pretty as the stars are, they would not make a lick of difference if not for the one who made those stars. The promises made to Abraham that his own son would be his heir is only worth anything if the one who makes it has the power to fulfill it. And that is what gives birth to Abraham's faith. That is what strengthens him. The Lord can tell Abraham that his own son will be his heir because he already knows it. He knows the details of his plan. He's the one who made the plan to begin with. He can see what Abraham cannot. He draws Abraham's eyes to the stars, not to give him this beautiful numerical example, as great as that is, but to remind him that the Lord is the one who made them in the first place. He put them there. He knows exactly how many there are. He is not limited like we are. The point is, friends, that if you want to see your faith strengthened, don't just look for those mountaintop moments in your life, as great as they are. And don't look inside yourself to try to find some hidden reservoir of faith in your heart that you have yet to discover. In fact, don't even look up at the stars and be captured by them for their sake. Look to the one who is behind all of that. God uses the stars in all parts of this account to teach Abraham about himself. Even going so far as telling Abraham what his future is going to look like, that he's going to live a peaceful life and die at a good old age. Would that all of us could get that promise. Abraham can have faith in God because he is reminded that God is more powerful, more knowledgeable, and more in control of things than even the most faithful of us could ever imagine. And so we can wonder at what the details will be. We can wonder about the order of things. And we can even ask the Lord to show us those things. But the faithful heart does not question whether the Lord can or cannot, whether the Lord is able or not. He can and he is. As one commentator pointed out, Abram is given hope not just because the sky is filled with stars, but also because the one who called the stars into existence out of nothing can surely also raise up a son for him. The Lord has the full picture. He knows what the future holds, and he knows it will all culminate in the raising of his own son. Abraham could never have known that. And yet he believes in the one who promises, and it is counted to him as righteousness. It's what we are all called to. To believe in the one who promises and by faith 
be made his. And to cement the promise, the Lord acts graciously. Abraham has heard the promise. He's been reminded of God's power and vision of how he could never see the scope and scale of everything the Lord is doing. And so he asks the Lord for help. He asks for a sign. The asking is not questioning God here, but more along the lines of, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. It is an acknowledgement of his own limitations, not the Lord's. And the Lord grants his request in a powerful way. He tells Abraham to bring him a heifer, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, there are moments when we read the Bible where we are clearly reminded of how culturally distant we are from the events that it tells us about. This is definitely one of those. (laughs) Could you imagine if in your prayer you asked Jesus for a sign and he responded, okay, sure, just bring me a couple animals. In fact, bring me like five or six of them. And then that's not even it. You got to cut them in half. Lay them on the ground in two rows so that it forms an aisle. I'm looking at some of your faces, and that's exactly what I would be feeling as well. What on earth is happening here? This makes no sense to us whatsoever. The funny thing is, it makes perfect sense to Abraham. He knows what's going on. You see, verses 9 through 21 in our passage, they're what are known as a covenant ratification ceremony. In that day and time, when two people, usually kings, entered a covenant together, they would lay out these animals that had been split in half so as to form rows that you could walk through. They would then walk from one end of the aisle to the other, together, side by side. It was their way of saying, let me be like one of these animals should I break the agreement we are making today. It was a way of attaching yourself to the other person, of announcing for all to see that you are making a deal so serious that you should be put to death if you break it. Now, when we're making an agreement, usually that means you need more than one person, right? Seems like probably one of the more obvious statements I've ever said in a sermon. But something different happens here, doesn't it? Were you paying attention when it was read for us? We're told here in verse 12 that Abraham falls into a deep sleep. That great darkness and dread come upon him. In other words, there is no way he is walking through an aisle with the Lord here. He's asleep. But that's what makes this moment so different, so important, so gracious. In a moment that recalls the pillars of fire and smoke that would lead the people of Israel through the desert... We are told that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
Those and those alone. A covenant, an unbreakable agreement has been made here. It's been made between God and Abraham. Yet, because the Lord alone has passed through these aisles, it is he who holds up both ends of the agreement. As Ian Duguid would point out, God, the ever-living one, was saying here, I would rather be personally torn apart than see my relationship with humanity broken or give up on the relationship that I have promised to establish through Abram's descendants. In this moment, our Father in heaven announces that he would rather be broken and torn apart than to see his relationship with his people end. Is the light bulb starting to come on at this point? Are you seeing why this is so important? If you're not, that's okay, I'm going to tell you. The promise made in this passage is that the land will deliver a land, or the Lord will deliver a land for the descendants of Abraham to live in and be God's people forever. They will live in a covenant relationship with him and be his very own possession. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know the people of God didn't exactly live up to their end of that deal, did they? They did not love God, they did not follow God as they were called to. They, like us, chose selfish, sinful, self-absorption over faithful, submitted relationship. But what this moment tells us is that God knew we would never hold our end of the bargain, and so he did not expect us to. God knows the whole story, not just our limited portion. He knows what we're like. And so he did not base his redemption plan on our faithfulness, but on his and his alone. He alone goes down the aisle so that by him alone we might be made his. And so when the questions come to mind about God, about what he's like, about what he's doing, remember this moment. Remember God made and uphold both ends of this deal. Remember that by his grace he walked alone down the aisle. Remember that, and then remember the cross. In the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God was broken, beaten, and torn apart, made to be like one of the animals that we have read about this morning, because we did not uphold our end of the covenant. But rather than see us condemned, he came to save us. If you ever wonder about the depth and breadth of God's power, God's grace, his vision for the world, his plan, and his love for you, all you need to do is look to Jesus on the cross where all of that was put in full display. And it was that plan that was being announced here thousands of years before Jesus came in a Middle Eastern valley where a man lay in a deep sleep and anybody looking would only see a pot and a torch somehow moving down an aisle. (laughs) 
This plan culminates in Jesus. He is the evidence that God is able, powerful, and sees what we cannot. And that he is always working to bring about his purposes. By his grace, he took the punishment for our failure. And through faith, we are now restored to live as one of his own. That is the vision we need when we begin to ask our questions. When we ask questions about ourselves, about our loved ones, about our our church, about our world. It doesn't mean that we will never have questions to ask or that the way will be smooth and easy. But it does mean that through it all, the Lord's plans and purposes will be accomplished. Not even your lack of faith can stop the Lord. Abraham could never have known that it would be through grace and faith in Jesus that his descendants would be greater than the stars that he saw in the sky that night. For all who are found in Christ by faith are now his descendants. He could never have guessed any of that, never mind all of it. And we could never guess what the Lord has in store for any of us. We are limited creatures. But know this, that no matter what the details are, no matter the questions you have, or the bumps in the road you see, none of it will stop what the Lord has in store. For you, for your family, for your church, even for this country. When you have your questions, Look up, even beyond the stars, to see Jesus and Jesus alone. Look to him and find the answers that your heart longs to hear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.